So um, I am carrying on with um, our culture series that Jules, Marsha and uh, Ruth so um, excellently started for us um, last week. I am, uh, there's fine, that's fine. Yeah, was it fall off? No? That's all right. Um, right. I would have had some jokes, but I was so disorganised that I forgot to ask Jules. We found some with Jules during the week, and then I forgot to ask her to find them on her phone before, literally about ten seconds ago. Um, so, she's still looking. I'm quite willing to stop to introduce them. Shush, you. <laughs> I know, I know, she can shush. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it's the Lord, yeah, saving you all. Uh, right, so um, I am talking about worship. Um, I'm doing kind of week one, Peter's doing week two. Um, so we're in this culture series, aren't we? We're trying to make sure that we get, we get the ground right so that what we want to come out comes out properly. Yeah? Um, I've, got, I've got a lot I want to get through as is my way, so I'm just going to crack on and keep occasionally glancing at my wife. Um, sorry, Jules, put you under pressure here. I have. I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intention. Right. So we're looking at. I'm looking at worship. I've got two things I want to talk to you about. Um, one, why do we worship God? That's a good place to start. Um, and then I've got four encouragements I want to bring. I, when I was preparing, I felt God specifically, but four areas that I want to talk to us about. Um, and we're going to look at those in a bit more detail. So crack on with one. Why do we worship God? Well, first and foremost, we worship God. Um, because he is worthy. That's, the, that's, the, like, which, that's like a given, isn't it? Um, in Revelation, there's the, um, the living creatures, the, the elders, they cast their crowns down before him, and there's this, this eternal sense that they, ne- they never stop saying, holy, holy are you, you are worthy, and they just say it again, because they never get tired of saying, you're so worthy, you're so amazing, he is magnificent, isn't he? Um, so primarily and first and foremost, before I say anything else, we worship God because of who he is and what he's done for us. But primarily he's worthy because of who he is, you know. And when we see him, we will have a full revelation of that. And we, we also will lay flat on our face, prostrate, going, you are so awesome, you're so glorious, you're so majestic. I have nothing but to offer you my everything. But with that as our as our basis, there's some other things, okay? Some other things. I believe there's more to reasons why we worship. Next one. We worship because we can become our truest selves as we worship. Um, God created us to worship because in the garden he created us to delight in him. Um, And he knew that as we delight in him, we get to become more like him. In uh, Romans, we're told that when Paul talks about sort of people who have fallen away, he says they are um, they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They knew God but did not honour him or give thanks to him. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and creeping things. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, it tells us, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. 
So on the one hand, if you exchange the glory of God for a lie, you lose your way. If you worship the creature rather than the creator, you end up becoming more like the creature. And you become base and foolish and hopeless. But retrospectively, if you turn your eyes to Lord Jesus, you get to become more glorious. And it gets better than that because the word beholding the glory of the Lord, the word there behold actually means to look in a mirror. So I think it's not simply as we look at Jesus, we get transformed more to be like him. But because we ourselves are carriers of the the glory of Jesus, as we look at ourselves and therefore as we look at each other, we get to be transformed. So I would argue, because a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is about corporate worship. One of the amazing things about corporate worship is not only does it glorify Jesus, but when we come together, we become transformed, both by looking at him and by experiencing the glory that each of us has. Okay, Worship's an amazing thing. Um, next, we worship, um, worship increases our experience of the presence of God. Now, we know that we have Jesus in us. We've spent a long time talking about our identity. But it says in... Um, in Psalms, you are holy, enthroned, which means he dwells on the praises of Israel. So Jesus responds to praise. Where he come, where praises, Jesus sits. So we can do something else, and I don't. It's like this. It's, it's the mystery of he's fully in us, and yet we can experience more of him. I don't get it, but I believe it. If you want more of him, praise him, because where praises, he comes. Okay, that's why we worship, because we get more of him. Um, worship brings the blessing of God. Worship brings his Holy Spirit. Uh, Psalms again says um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil. Oil is often um, symbolic of the Spirit on the head. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. When we come together, God pours his blessing, that oil, that Spirit. And uh, there's, there's, you know, there's nothing more unity unifying than us all together standing shoulder to shoulder worshipping the one God okay so if you want more if you want God to command a blessing onto you stand in unity with your brothers and sisters as you worship next one worship catches us up into a heavenly heavenly reality of continual worship and reorients our perspective and this is what we sort of touched on this morning worship's going on all the time in heaven as Jules said the sound of heaven is that of praise and worship. As we focus on heaven and God, we get big God, small problems. Yeah? It it refocuses our brains. It brings us back to what we were meant to be, which is wholeheartedly just seeing Jesus. Um, And then everything else around us becomes smaller. And that's a beautiful thing. And lastly, I've got worship extends the kingdom. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as ever in heaven. Okay, that's what we're told to do. But because worship is what's going on in heaven, I'd argue when you worship on earth, you are, you are bringing heaven to earth. You're making earth sound like heaven. You're bringing the kingdom of heaven down. And we heard a testimony last week from Jules about guys that go into campuses, just teenagers, um, and they change the atmosphere by doing nothing other than worshipping. Okay? You extend the kingdom just by worshipping. All right, worship's a beautiful thing. 
Okay, have I got a summary of those? I think I have, haven't I? So, why do we worship? He's worthy. We've been created to become like him through worship. It brings his presence, commands a blessing, reorients our perspective, extends the kingdom. Okay? Um, Some amazing reasons why we worship. Part two. um, How do we worship? Okay, this is where I want to kind of camp for the rest of the session. Um, I want to talk specifically about, I think about us as Oasis, our corporate worship times together. Now, that can mean in your small groups, that can mean in your families, that can mean together. But I'm talking more than simply your individual times with God. I want to encourage us in the following four areas. One, preparing our hearts for worship. Two, what are our expectations on a Sunday? Three, our choice to worship. And four, what to do when we're not feeling it. Okay, and these are all encouragements. Um, but these are not, there's no sense of telling off in this. There is a sense of upgrade. Like we experienced this morning, there is a sense that we can, that, that place we've reached in the last 15 minutes of worship today, that's what we can taste every day. Um, and I'm not saying there's a formula to reach there, but I'm saying I want you to be hungry for that. And that should be our expectation. That is kind of where the things that we're aching for begin to happen. That's where we begin, begin to see cultural atmospheres shift around our city. That's when the healings happen. Because I don't really understand it because he's always in us, but there's something more that happens in that place. And it's a beautiful thing. And I want us to reach that place. Um, secondly, it's not a telling off because you guys love to worship. You are a worshipping people. One of the first things that attracted Jules and I to this church when we thought about where to go seven or so years ago was the way you worshipped. And we would go back to our friends and families and say, my goodness, these people know how to worship. They love it. They push in. They push through. They are wholehearted in their praise and their adoration. Um, So I want to just say, because of that, because I think this is part of who we are, and because we get to give this away, Let's get better at it, even better. There's so much more that we can do, okay? But it's because we are amazing, because, we, because this, is, this is part of who we are. Um, just a little bit about my own personal journey with corporate worship, because not, I, I didn't grow up with most of you, um, just so you kind of are aware of where I come from in this. Um, I was born in a Christian family. My dad used to play worship. He used to lead, play the guitar. My mum used to sing, play flute. Um, he led the church for many years. And from the age of about seven or eight, eight or nine, perhaps something like that, I started playing the drums um, on Sundays. So I was, I think I was about 10, perhaps 11. I don't know when I started playing drums on Sundays, but it was a very two, yeah, Pete reckons two. Um, it was, I don't think I was, I may not even have been at secondary school yet, um, or if I was, was it was very early secondary. And I would play the drums every Sunday because I was the only drummer. And my dad had all the PA gear in his garage. Um, and I just served every week for about the next eight years. Um, so I got to experience every other worship leader and their band and their styles. And I got to kind of um, experience a whole range of, of how people worship. And I was involved in it continually for, I say, eight or nine years. And I went to Brighton, um, a big church in Brighton, and had the privilege also of being part of the worship team there. Um, 
and they had some professional musicians, professional worship bands who led worship, and I got to sit under their teaching and work with them and worship with them. I got to work on the PA team there. Um, and then sort of ever since then, I've been also playing in, in churches, drumming in churches. So I've got sort of 30, decades, 30 years, three decades of um, nearly of, worship, of corporate worship experience. So I'm not saying I'm, I mean, I'm an expert, but I do feel like I've picked up some things on the way. And I've been very privileged to sit amongst some very great people who've taught me a lot. And I just want to share some of that with you. Okay? So, one, preparing our hearts for worship. Um, ever since Eden, when there was that separation from us, I think God has been proactively trying to reconcile us, hasn't he? Now we know he succeeded in Christ. But he has been active in saying, I want your heart back. Okay? Um, he knew that you were created to worship. He knew that the effect that worship has on your soul. And so I would argue that a lot of the Old Testament Levitical laws about worship are not there because he's some maniacal God that likes laws. They're there as safeguards. They're there as boundaries. It's like a father telling their son, I know you love to play and cook a football around. Go play, but please stay in the back garden. Please stay in the park so I can keep you safe. Go do what you were meant to do. I think God was like this with worship. You're meant to worship. Worship's good for you. It makes you fully you. Please worship me. Because I know you're going to turn into the thing that you worship. Um, in Ex- Exodus, he talks about the tent of meeting, which was a, a, like an early version of the tabernacle. Um, and he says, I will consecrate, which means make holy, the tent of meeting and the altar. This is God speaking. Aaron and his sons I will also consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. They shall, be, they shall know that I am the Lord their God. I want to spend a few minutes looking at how we prepare our hearts by comparing ourselves to the Old Testament priests. It says, if you bring the next slide down, John. Joe, um, you, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Okay, we, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. I'll hear an amen from Paula for that. Um, we are now the priests. Okay? So anything that I think God told the priests to do, especially the high priest who was the one that actually got to go and hang with Jesus, enter his presence, we can learn from that. Um, and we're going to look at their clothes. Because as I was studying this, there's a whole lot of glory and whack on their clothes. Okay? Let's have a look at them. Um, so this is the clothes that the high priest used to wear. I'm going to that each item is symbolic, um, and we're just going to get some glory as we look at each item. The ephod, which is like the main tunic. The ephod represents um, the 12 tribes of Israel to God. It's there to remind God, as it were. So when you go into the presence, God remembers, oh, these are, these are my people. Okay? Old Testament, New Testament. We are the family of God now. We are the true Israel. In Jesus, we are the true Israel. We are spiritual heirs of all the promises, I would argue, there to Abraham. Okay. Next one. The breastplate of judgment. The breast pieces, it says on the, on the right. In the New Testament, we get to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's not a breastplate of judgment anymore. We've been judged in Christ and we've been found worthy. Okay, There's no judgment left for us apart from... Well done, good and faithful servant. Come in. 
Okay? There's glory. Let's go move on to the next one. Uh, on this breastplate were the um, Urim and Thummim. I think that's how they're pronounced. Um, no one's quite sure what they are, but they appear to be um, to, a means, a device for detecting the will of God. There was some sense that when you ask God a question, something would happen to the Urim and the Thummim, um, and that would indicate a yes or a no to the person asking a question. Um, we don't need that anymore. New Testament, we know God. We have the mind of Christ. Okay, We don't need to wait for one person with the special clothes to go and ask God a question. We get to hang with Jesus and ask him. You get to commune with Holy Spirit on a minute-by-minute basis. Glory. Um, on the, uh, the two onyx stones to remind Israel of the Passover and God's salvation from their enemies, specifically for that purpose. New Testament, Jesus is our Passover. The lamb slain, we've been redeemed and we've been saved. In the same way that Israel were reminded, look, what, look what, how I saved you from Egypt. Look how I passed over you and they celebrate that. We get to celebrate that every day, don't we? Jesus, because of you are the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I get to be like you. Uh, and next one, the robe. This one's slightly mysterious. There was, um, there's a bit of a confusion as to exactly what this is about, but this is what it says. The robe and the bells to make a sound so the priest may not die in the holy place. Um, and there is some confusion as to exactly what that means. I'm not going to go into it. the various versions now of what that is. It's not really important. But there was this sense of awe and fear about entering the holy place. It wasn't something that was done lightly. It was something done with lots of sacrifices and lots of preparation only once a year on a special day. New Testament, we have confidence to enter the holy place through the blood of Jesus. We have no fear of death as we enter the presence of Jesus. Okay? Is there a next one? There is. Oh, I love this one. On the turban... Um, engraved with, it said this on the turban, holy to the Lord. In the Old Testament, it says that, the holy to the Lord. I love that. Um, this turban allowed the gifts to be acceptable because the guilt was carried by the priest. So the guilt of all the sins were carried by the priest and that made the gifts acceptable. That's what it says. New Testament, New, New Covenant, Jesus is our great high priest. He's carried our guilt already we are now holy as he is we are as holy as he is we are now holy to the lord that's like a prophetic declaration long before jesus was ever on the scene this is what you're actually meant to be this is who you really are you are holy to the lord and we are now the priests and the next one if there is this is nice as well the priests were anointed ordained and consecrated there were there's lots of ceremonies they went through their clothes were for glory and beauty, it says in Deuteronomy. I love that. You get to, we get to be for glory and beauty. Jesus looks on us and he thinks we're glorious and beautiful. We are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We are his glorious and beautiful bride. He died for his bride. He thinks we are so lovely. We think he's lovely, he's lovely which he is, but he thinks we're lovely, Okay. You, are de- you were destined for glory and beauty. It's beautiful. Okay, so in summary for this section, they wore, stroke, we are, 
I believe that everything that it said about the clothes that the priest had to wear is true about who we are now. We don't have to put these clothes on. We are forever remembered before God, spiritual heirs of all his promises, righteous, knowing him, safe from our enemies, confident in his presence, as holy as he is, glorious and beautiful. Now, if, if, if ever you wanted some ways to prepare your heart before worship, to allow you to kind of have the right mindset as you come in, you've got some right there. Imagine if you entered worship every week, having spoken over yourself before you arrived, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, God is this, this is who I am, this is who I am. Okay, let's move on to the application one. Here we are. Are you preparing your hearts before you come on a Sunday? Are we? This is my challenge to us. This isn't a telling off. This is a, where can we reach? I know it's hard. I've got two young kids. I know what it's like. It's, it's never easy rocking up with your heart prepared. But let me exhort and encourage you. If you could spend just two minutes, just you and Jesus, running through this list, you don't need to spend the first three songs overcoming yourself thinking about yourself, processing your day, processing your week, whatever it is that enters our minds. And I, I, I totally get that. I do that myself. Okay? I'm going to come on later on to some tips for practically how to overcome that in the first three songs. Because I know that's like a big deal. But if we could do this before, if we could prepare our hearts and come ready, you know, we're not... We're not waiting for the third song when the kids have gone out before we hit the sweet spot the first chord strikes bam we're in you are so glorious we are so loved oh just abandoned because because we our hearts our truth is there we looked i read that verse right at the beginning um from uh, romans about the the people that didn't do stuff they didn't they didn't look at truth they didn't honor they didn't give thanks they didn't realize their glory Okay, If we can hold on to truth, be thankful, honour God for who he is, what he's done, and realise his glory and our glory, then I think we are set up to worship. Okay, So that was point one of, of part two, how we worship um, and then how we prepare our heart. Just find my place in my notes. Part two. What are our expectations on a Sunday? Uh, and this is kind of carries on again. Do we rock up expecting to encounter the living Jesus? Do we rock up expecting to meet him? Do we? Are we ready to honor, thank and praise, meet with God, encounter his presence, be delighted in by Father God, encourage and bless others, contribute if necessary from the front, Contribute as part of the body worshipping together. Um, leave different because the presence is always effective. Or do we maybe sing the songs that you like? Probably sing a new one you don't know. Expect the music tile is, isn't really to your taste. Band will be too loud or too quiet. Worship leader style won't be right. Distracted by kids. Had to leave in 15 minutes for kids' work, so there's no real point in entering in. Feel awkward as others are encountering or feeling something you're not. Okay? This isn't a telling off. This is the reality of what we are enter with, isn't it? This is all the stuff we come with. And again, my encouragement to you is 
although that might be true, this is truer. Okay, I'm not saying you're not feeling this stuff. I'm not saying you don't have a style that you prefer. I'm not saying that you might not struggle with a volume issue at some point. We can't please everybody. Our aim isn't to please everybody. We can't ever. That's, you know, that's not realistic. Um, I want to encourage you that you will expect or you will um, receive what you expect. Whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive it if you have faith. You're a powerful individual. If you come in expecting to not really deceive very much, you will probably be successful. Because you are created in power to be effective in the things that you declare over yourself. Yeah? But if you come in expecting good, then I put it to you that you will receive good. If you come in expecting bad, you're probably going to get what you ask for. Okay? Um, your, your prayers aren't always the, dear Jesus, please can I? You know, your prayers are, it's more subtle than that. All right? Um, his presence shakes the mountains. He's glorious, as we said this morning. I want you to come in expecting the God who literally shook Mount Sinai. And a, a few million people were fearful of going towards the mountain because they could see the fire and the smoke. That presence... It's, it's good for us and we're invited into an intimate encounter with that come expectant that things are going to change that your heart is going to be lifted that your body is going to get healed that you're going to be renewed and sent out refreshed and it's not just about corporate Sunday to Sunday living but as we looked at initially there's something else, something extra about corporate Sundays yeah, I don't want you just living from Sunday to Sunday. You've got your own encounter during the week, haven't you? Jesus is in your heart. But God has, God has ordained something about the coming together. So let's benefit from that. Let's embrace all that it is and go, yes, let's, there's something on it. Boom, let's run with it. Let's make the most of it. Let's drain every last drop of glory from whatever corporate times we can have. Okay, Because then we're more beautiful to change the world. Um. Because of this also, he doesn't want us to be passive. If we move on to the next slide. When we come together, we are told there are varieties of gifts, the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then we've got a list of sort of um, some of the gifts of the spirits there. All right? This section comes in the middle of um, a passage in uh, Corinthians, isn't it, about believers gathering together. So it's not specifically just about worship. It's about when we gather together as a people. And the context for that whole section of gathering together is love. Okay? That's what this whole thing is about. It's about loving God and loving one another. And that's why we started our culture series, looking at loving God and loving one another. Okay? Um, next slide. Do you expect to contribute to the body, to us, or do you rule yourself out because your contribution may not be public? Okay, this is a direct... I'm good, it's, not, it's not a challenge, it's kind of an encouragement, but it's almost a challenge. Um, in the next few minutes, I want to challenge us on our thoughts of, is there something better about doing what I'm doing? 
as opposed to doing what Paul Tufnell has done today. Paul Tufnell has not contributed anything publicly from the front. But I want to argue that actually, as far as Jesus is concerned, there is almost a greater honour on what Paul has done. And I'll explain why in a second. But there's certainly no more honour on what I have done. And I don't want anyone to think that the only way you contribute on a Sunday is by either being one of the six people that seem to do public things. The band, the anchorer, the notices or the preacher. That can't be the only way you contribute on a Sunday. Because that... Because. Let's move on. Okay? Um, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, 1 Corinthians. So Paul seems to expect when we gather together that there will be a sense of everyone has, each one has. But again, practically we can't have, imagine even a church of a thousand people, that's just going to be chaotic. It can't physically run like that. So he's not saying I expect everyone to say something every week. But he is saying I want you to come with the expectation that you're going to bring something. Don't rely on someone else making the meeting happen. Make them make the meeting happen for you. Okay. Expect to come with a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. Or these are just the public ones. And I want to argue that you can expect to come with so much more than this and still contribute on a Sunday morning. Okay. A, this is not an exhaustive list. We don't only have lessons, revelations, tongues, and interpretations. But these are just the visible ones. And if you go to the next slide, thanks, Joe. God has so organized the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. You can all, I bet you all love having your hands. Your hands are really useful. Your hands are public. Your hands are the bits that paint and do amazing things and play music and whatever it is you do with your hands or your feet, you run. Your hands are the bit that are obviously giving you glory. But you take your hands away, you can continue. You take your liver away, you're really going to struggle. You take your heart away, your lungs away, death is imminent. Okay? God has organized the body, our physical, my body, the parts that are on public, on view, are not as essential as the parts that are not. I need the parts that are not on view, that are less glorious, much more than I need the parts that you can see that are apparently glorious. Okay? When you come together on a Sunday, you are no less contributing to the body if you give someone a hug or an encouragement on the, on the quiet, if you pray for someone. If you give someone a card that says you love them, a smile, a kind word, practical assistance, a prophetic note, whatever it is, whether you are a lung or a heart or a hand or a foot, I want you to come on a Sunday morning knowing that God has a part for you to play. And I want to raise our expectations of what that might be so that when we come together, we each contribute, we're each part of this whole and we each feel honoured and worthy. I want to encourage you, honour each other. I would love to get feedback saying that was a great preach because that's the way I, I appear to right now in this moment, I appear to have a public bit. But I would also love you to honour equally 
the person that come up to you and gave you a hug, the person on the welcome team who gave you a smile that made you go, oh, that's nice, as you walked in, the person that through the week just phoned you up and asked how you were, okay? I think those, those elements of body probably are much more powerful than what I say. My preach may well go in one ear and out the other. But when someone reaches out to you in the week with those less honourable moments, God loves that, God sees that, and God gives greater honour to those parts. Okay? Believe it. Be, be, be the best you so that we can be the best body. I need my liver to be a really well-functioning liver. If my liver complains because it's not a hand or an ear my body stops working okay I I want us we need us to be the best us we can be so I'm just going to give you one minute I'm going to I was going to do some activations I'm going to go for this one one minute I just want you to have a think with Jesus right now what is it that you how can you be the best you to us as a body and that might be corporately on a Sunday or it might be during the week What is it that you are to us? on if god didn't whisper something specific into your ear that's not because he doesn't have a part for you to play okay my my encouragement to you is just be you often the most prophetic things we can do is follow our own dreams rather than having to wait for a whisper from god what is it you want to do on a sunday what is it you want to be who is it you want to be and that's usually what god wants for you because he made you that way next one number three um, our choice to worship. Um, let's have a look at the next slide, Joe. The role of the worship leader in the band. Again, this is an encouragement. It's just kind of a question rather than a challenge. Do you believe the, word, the role of the worship leader in the band is to lead you, know exactly where to start with you, know where to finish with us, and take us with us on a journey? Very structured, very knowing, very deliberate. Or do you believe that other worship leader is to, is to facilitate your journey? And the, and the Holy Spirit will in some way weave each journey together into a glorious whole. I want to suggest that they're both right. There's no right way to lead people in worship. Because it doesn't really matter what these guys at the front do. What matters is your heart. What matters is my heart. What matters is how we engage. Okay? We could have the most gifted or least gifted worship leaders at the front. We have some amazing worship leaders. We're very privileged in this church. And we have, they have different styles, and that's beautiful. But what matters most is how we 
as a group choose to engage. Our heart is, I would suggest, more important than song choice, chord selection, the order of stuff, the volume. Okay, We can choose to engage. Um, let's move on to the next one. Uh, I talked about that already. Um, in, I love the Psalms. There's so much in the Psalms. But one of the reasons I love the Psalms is that we often have this, this um, yet God or this but God. And there's lots of the psalmists seem intent on pouring out their hearts um, with all the negative stuff. And yet they always come back to a yet God, yet you are. And they, they come out of, they acknowledge all the circumstances that are good or bad. And yet they consistently come back to, I will tell of your name in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. All will praise you. Okay. Um, Personally, some of the most glorious and intimate moments I've ever had in worship have been in my most broken moments. Um, I've been, this Jules is my second wife, I've been divorced, um, and when my first wife walked out on me, I, I was broken as you can imagine, beyond belief. My heart was wrung out, and in that place of vulnerability, of knowing, God, I have, this is just the rawest me as I, give, as I chose to give, give Jesus my rawest me, I found he met, he met that me. And he held that me very gently in his hands. And I was able to cry out, I love you, I worship you, you are still worthy of my praise. And my circumstances are still horrible. And a couple of years ago, something kind of, it felt similarly devastating when I was fired from a, a job for a second time for the same thing and it felt like the arrow in the same wound and everyone at my work was out to get me and I was like God what am I doing this is horrible surrounded by enemies I felt like one of the guys in the Psalms there's enemies on my left and my right I'm broken bare and yet in that place God finds a way to meet you and you can praise him in that place and then there's the other challenge of the fruits on the vine the money's in the bank. Everything's going well. Do I still trust that it's because of you, God? Or am I trusting in myself? There's a challenge to trust God, whether it's really hard or whether it's really good. Okay? I'm not sure there's any particular set of circumstances that leads you better into worship. But it's your heart attitude in all of it. Um, and the glorious thing about worship is that he remains altogether lovely all the time. Altogether good, beautiful, faithful, generous, graceful, trustworthy, strong, gentle, powerful. We can praise him because he's good and we're aware of his goodness. Or we can praise him because he's good and we need to know that. Either way, he remains good and worthy of our praise. And my encouragement to you is find find what it is you need to worship God where you are and present your praises to him from wherever you are because there's never, an, there's never a moment in your life when you can't find a way to worship Jesus there's never a moment when he ceases to be worthy okay last one, what to do when you're not feeling it this is a really practical one okay um, you're in a bad mood 
something's really happened. You've had an argument with a loved one, your kids, your wife, your husband, your dad, your father. You know, you've, you've come, life has really hit. You had a phone call that morning. It's really hard sometimes to get beyond your brain. And this is when um, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, what, one of the Holy Spirit's primary roles is to glorify Jesus. And when we understand that we have someone in us that is eternally praising, there is that praise going on continually within the Trinity. They love each other. They glorify each other. There's that praise going on in heaven. When you realize that you've got that in your tummy, it's possible to kind of skip your brain for a bit. Yes, all this is happening, but there's something going on in here that's a deeper reality that you can use to connect with that that supersedes this until this catches up. Okay? One of my favorite ways is using tongues. Okay? For me, tongues, it was holding in Romans or Corinthians, and I forget where, that tongues is, um, when I pray in tongues, my mind is not connected. But that's the point. That's the good thing. When my mind is not connected, then I connect with the eternally praising spirit. And I let tongues bubble up. And I don't feel like it. And my face doesn't reflect it. But I speak out the tongues. And eventually, my mind catches up. Tongues is a gift to us. It's a tool that you can use. So when the worship style isn't to your, fa- your favorite, when the band are too loud, when the song choices aren't doing it for you, when you've, you're, feel- you're not feeling... I know you're worthy, but I'm just not feeling it right now. Tongues. There are Sundays when I will spend every song in tongues. Not because the songs are bad, but because that's what my spirit needs. I need to dig in to what's happening in my belly, the eternity that's in here. And I need to connect with that because here is getting in the way. Okay? So even when life potentially brings a circumstance that you, that you can't see your way around... He remains worthy, and he's given you this glorious key, this glorious means to bypass all of this and just connect this with this. And when that happens, this does catch up. But even if this doesn't, this still goes on. Okay, He remains worthy, and we get to worship him because of who he is, because he's glorious, because he's amazing. We get to shift atmospheres. We get to change the city. We get to love on each other. We get to be delighted in by Jesus, we get to delight in Him. Okay, we are never without excuse. We are never without reason. We are never without ability. There is so much glory for us on our corporate times together. You worship so well, and I want more for us. We worship so well. Okay, I just encourage you. I will try and get this online, or, or we'll do something with this, but. Get your heart filled with truth. Let's go to the summary one. Um, we worship because he's worthy. We worship because it brings the presence of Jesus. We worship by preparing our hearts with truth before we come together. We come ready to be ourselves and contribute whatever part the body needs from us. We push past ourselves into God and we thank, praise and worship him regardless of our circumstances and we acknowledge that our spirit is already praising. We just need to catch up with what's already going on. Okay? God bless. I love you.